I pray that Easter is not just, uh, oh, yeah, that was four weeks ago or five weeks ago or whatever it is now. I hope it's not just another holiday, another time to do special things with family, as wonderful that as is. But we live every day in the season of Easter. Christ is risen, and that means more than just, oh, yeah, Jesus is alive. It means we are alive now and will be forever. Whoever believes in him shall never die. And there will be a resurrection of the body at the end of time. I invite you to open your uh, Bibles that should be provided there, or if you have your own, that's fine too, or uh, some other format. But John chapter 5, it happens to be on page 890 if you need a page number for that. But we're going to be focusing a little bit more on that gospel lesson that, uh, that Tim just read. And um, you'll notice that... As you get to that section, the word that he shared, it's the only time in the Bible that it's, it's ever mentioned or used. And that is this pool that in Aramaic is called Bethesda. That's verse 2. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word Bethesda, What comes to my mind is not necessarily this pool, at least certainly in my early life, but it is Watertown, Wisconsin, and this incredible ministry and residential facility that was established all the way back in 1904 for those who have disabilities, people with disabilities who for some reason may not be able to remain or live or be cared for in their own home or place of residence. And so Bethesda was created, was born, if you will, to be such a place, getting its name from this scripture reference. The word Bethesda in the Hebrew is apparently translated house of mercy. And that's what Bethesda has served for well over a hundred years. And in its course of its history, it had been a working farm at one point, and where there were, of course, all the daily activities of chores and, and activities and learning and growing and fellowshipping and meals and everything else, not the least of which was a place in which they could learn and everyone could grow in their faith towards Jesus. Come to a better understanding of how unique and individual each person is and that Jesus loves each one of us. In fact, Bethesda, in the course of its decades of ministry, the account of the man referencing somebody to help him has been used as kind of a a principle for any of the, the staff and volunteers that have worked there, that they are there to be used by God to help someone to be able to come to know Jesus better. In the course of time, that residential facility and that model for um, such care has changed in our society, and no longer is that property there, although at one point it had up to 700 residents living there, it does not anymore. In the late mid-70s and into the 80s, the concept of having more local group homes had caught on. And that is now what Bethesda, in many cases, is. This series of group homes in which much smaller settings, but they are for people with disabilities 
whether it's cognitive impairment, developmentally delayed, and in some cases also the fitting the categories that were mentioned here about being paralyzed or lame. Some of you may also know that Roger and Ann Finta, back in 1982, they said, went to Watertown, Wisconsin, and got their training so that they could open what is now in Frankenmuth the Bethesda Group Home, and that was opened in July of 82, almost 40 years old. Anne is not even 40 years old, and yet the ministry that she's been involved with has been around for 42 years, helping countless of people and families and all those who work there as well. We can thank the Lord for such ministry and um, for such works of the Spirit happening through God's people. Now, that may be what comes to your mind when you hear the word Bethesda, and rightly so. Oh, I almost forgot about the Bethesda gift shops. Or as one old German I used to go visit would always say, Bethesda. So, amazing stuff. Having said that, let's now look at the Bethesda from the Bible. It was a pool. And such pools were not uncommon in Jerusalem and other cities. And very likely, they were a result of some natural spring that fed these pools and that were used then for any number of different purposes, uh, depending on the nature of the pool. Well, Bethesda was a particularly uh, interesting pool in that it came with a history. And so we read in verse 3, where it says this, in these, namely the colonnades, the the covered porches, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, in talking with Anne, we discussed a little bit about the terminology that has been used for individuals with disabilities or impairments over the course of, well, more than a century anyway, And she, I think, assured me that the word invalid is probably not one that's on the top 10 politically correct list. This is what the translation from the Greek is, and that's why it's here in Scripture. But the word, the, the, excuse me, the point of this section is, though, that this was a special pool where many, many people with disabilities of various kinds would either come or be brought. Now, there's a lot of details about such this pool and especially its backstory that we're going to touch on. And we may get frustrated because we may say, I want to know the answers. I want to know exactly what life was like when Jesus went there that day. Unfortunately, there's no way for us to determine that. There's some amazing scholarship, and we can learn a lot. But to be able to recreate 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem at the Pool of Bethesda, we honestly cannot know exactly what the cultural dynamic, what was in this man's mind, what was in Jesus' mind, and the events of Jerusalem of that day. But we do our best. We do our best, and the Lord does certainly understand that. So Jesus came to this day. It happened to be the day of Sabbath, which 
For them was, of course, Saturday. It would be better called today the day of worship. We often would think of Sunday. And so Jesus came there, and he saw those who had been uh, either uh, gathered there or even lying there. One man was there, verse 4, who had been an invalid. I'm sorry, verse 5. One man had been there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, again, were people just constantly waiting there? Was this man having to be brought every day back and forth? And why did Jesus choose this man? Because he knew that he had been there so long compared to all the others? Questions that ultimately we may not have answers to. But the backstory of the Pool of Bethesda is hinted at in the man's response to Jesus in verse 7. So Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir... I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Do you understand that? I don't. Good for you. I love it. Well, it's easy enough to understand in this sense. He wants to get in the water, and he's slow. He either needs somebody to carry him into the pool or he needs to have time to perhaps crawl there. We get the impression that his legs do not help him much. And as he's trying to get there, somebody else cuts in front of him and nobody helps him. You see, the backstory of this pool apparently is this, that this pool, perhaps like some hot springs or geysers that we may be familiar with out in Yellowstone or otherwise, there were times when that pool would begin to bubble, perhaps, when there was a release of, of gases from inside the earth and, and that would cause it to be stirred or to be uh, moved. And the, the thought was, the myth, the reality we have no evidence to show. But that once that pool started to get bubbly, I guess, the first person who got into the pool would get healing. Imagine that. If that were the case, or if nothing else, if people believed that were the case, imagine what that pool would mean. Would you go? If you were dealing with an illness, uh, uh, some type of disability, would you take a loved one there? Would you go there and would you camp out there? Would you sit there by wherever this pool might be and wait? And apparently without warning, without the regularity of old faithful, some even pro uh, surmise that maybe it was only once a year that the pool and its waters would be stirred. Would you go? I think some people would. 
I think many people would. I think people would go just to, you've got to be kidding me. Is this for real? That the first one into the water is going to get healing from their uh, whatever it is that ails them? You see, this Bethesda takes on new meaning when we, we understand a little bit, the little bit that we can know of the, the backstory of the pool of Bethesda. Again, whether this was from the Lord, if healings actually took place, or whether it was just a myth or a belief, whether it was part of, as some would suggest, the cultic Greek mindset that, that uh, had influenced even in Jerusalem. Again, we don't know for sure. But notice what Jesus did. When the man who answered Jesus and said, I can't get help. Nobody's going to help me. And I'm too slow. And it's hopeless. I don't know if we can hear in his voice the hopelessness that is there. But if he was there at this pool for any length of time, not to mention that he was dealing with a disability for at least 38 years, you talk about feeling hopeless and nobody to help. Jesus' response to him was, in a way, don't worry about the pool, but focus on me. And Jesus, as you can see, he simply gives the man what amounts to be three commands. He says to him in verse 8, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he did. We can't imagine. Just as is the case with so many of Jesus' miracles of physical healing that are recorded in the Gospels, how is it possible for us to even relate to what that would have been like? How many of us haven't prayed for such a miracle, perhaps for ourselves or for a loved one, and felt like it's absolutely hopeless? How many of us could really relate to experiencing something so life-transforming out of mere distress and, and absolute hopelessness to be able to get up and walk away? Life changed forever? Although we can't appreciate the physical healings that Jesus performed. Now, maybe we have experienced some type of a medical miracle, whether that was a, a direct intervention by the Lord apart from the medical community and its knowledge. Thanks be to God. Maybe you can identify in some ways. But many of us have experienced miracles that God has worked through those who have the knowledge and training and abilities and medicines and treatments and therapies and all of those things to bring healing. But be mindful of this, that when Jesus talks about being healed, in addition to physical healing, 
the one who is the Lord of body and soul, has much more than just the body in mind. You see, we can talk about whether we have a healthy body, but today we also recognize how important it is to have a healthy mind, to have healthy relationships, to have healthy practices, to have a healthy lifestyle, to have a healthy attitude and outlook on life. In fact, sometimes this word that's used here for healing is actually better translated to be whole. W-H-O-L-E. Holistically, we are more than just a body, of course. And when Jesus offers healing to us, yes, we know that it is more than just the body he's interested In fact, above all, he's interested in our very spirit, in our very soul. Do you want to be whole? I believe that Jesus offers that invitation and asks that question to each and every one of us every time he speaks to us in his word and certainly through this account today. Do you want to be made whole? Now, you can think of any and every of the things that you feel are not whole with you right now. And some of those may require a direct intervention of a miracle from the Lord. And we can pray for those, absolutely. God may indeed choose to grant one. But what about the other people that were gathered at the pool that day? We are not told that Jesus healed all of them. In fact, it's not reported that he healed any of them. In fact, when you read further on in this account, it's clear that Jesus kind of just melted away into the crowd because the guy who was healed was kind of like, I I don't even see him. I don't know where he's at. I don't understand why God does, why Jesus did choose on occasion this person or that person, or why today some might get a medical miracle or otherwise. We can always pray and ask and and trust in the Lord, but at the same time recognize what has he promised to us and what has he not necessarily promised. He has not promised physical healing. He has not promised miracles apart from the means and the strategies and the wisdom and the knowledge of this world that we can do and make use of to become whole. But he has promised. If you want to be whole in the most important way, in the most fundamental, in the most foundational way, namely in your wholeness, in your spirit and your soul, and in relationship with the Lord, then yes, He does promise that. And if we have the wholeness there, that by far, is the greatest wholeness that we can have. This man got this healing amazing, but for how long? We're not told how long he lived. I don't know. He was at least 38 years old, maybe older. 
I don't know what life expectancy in those days was. You know, did he live to be 60, 70? You know, so for a couple decades, he may have experienced the wholeness that Jesus brought him to his body, but did he not also get to a point where his body began to wear out, his body began to fail, just like they do because of this fallen world that we live in? Absolutely. But the wholeness that Jesus brought him in his spirit, that is still something he experiences right now. When Jesus asks, do you want to be whole? Do we go like this man and say, well, there's no hope, Lord. There's no way this can be fixed. There's no way this relationship can be restored. There's no way I can make up for the mistakes I've made here. There's no way my financial situation can be solved. And it's just hopeless. So I don't know. You can offer that, Lord, but come on. I think he simply says to you, you are whole. I have made you whole. That's why I came. That's why I lived. That's why I died. As I carried your burdens and your sorrows, your griefs and your tears and your illnesses, and I took them upon myself. So that the wholeness that will get you the greatest joy and peace and fulfillment in life will be and is yours today. I mentioned that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. Of course, we know that God had given certain laws, restrictions on the Sabbath, but you notice that Jesus had told this man to get up, to take his bed, and to walk. Well, in typical fashion, there were those who saw the man doing this and oblivious to the context, accosted him saying, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're not supposed to take your bed and walk and do that stuff. And in verse 11, we get this amazing response. I'm going to put it in my own words but it's the man who says them to them, says then to them, he says, in so many words, whatever, guys, all I know is the one who made me whole told me to. And if the one who made me whole told me to do it, then I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with joy and boldness. Oh, that we respond to Jesus' word whenever we hear it. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.